It's Monday, Boom. ladies and gentlemen, and we're going to talk of some real estate. You want to avoid making some major mistakes, especially when the market is shifting, then you want to take a listen to today's episode. So here we go. Shut up and sit down. The Business Bros Podcast was created for you. Learn from the business professionals who come to share their stories. Find out what's working in business on social media, what's hot and what's not, straight from the mouths of successful entrepreneurs out there doing the real work. And now, welcome to another episode of Business Bros. Yeah, <laughs> it is time for James to do his thing. Drop some heat. Here we go. It's a beautiful Monday afternoon, everybody, right here in San Diego and all you business pros out there. We're ready to jump into the show. But first, a quick reminder to please subscribe on whichever platform it is that you're listening to us on today. Give us a like, give us a follow, subscribe, and drop a review. Help other like-minded business owners find value from our awesome guests while we rise up in those podcast rankings. We'll really appreciate every single one of you for it. And if you want to be a guest on the show, we'd love to have you on to learn from you as well. Go to www.businessbros.biz to schedule your time slot. Don't forget to follow us on all our social medias at Business Bros Pod. We're so excited and so honored to bring yet another incredible guest to the Business Bros Pod. You know that old saying, a smart person learns from their mistakes, but a genius, a genius learns from the mistakes of others. Our guest today has written a tell-all book covering her mistakes in real estate, and today we'll get to hear some of those stories and more importantly, how she bounced back. Today, our guest is the owner and co-founder of a company whose mission is to help real people build real wealth through the power of real estate. Tune in to hear what our guest is up to, how she built her real estate empire, and how you too can be a part of this real team of wealth builders. Joining us today from Real Property Investments, author of Real Estate Mistakes, Our Mistakes, Your Success. Welcome to the show, Monica Jason. Monica, no, is, <laughs> oh, there we go. That that's what James does. He has this uh, one this, skill. <laughs> okay, well, I was gonna make it a little nicer than that, but yeah, he has one skill and he puts it to work here on the show. We give you that fire intro. All right, Monica, let's get into it. Uh, we are, I believe, at the very top of what is going to become a changing market here soon. Should have probably happened a few years ago. Looked like it was starting to happen. COVID hit. We hit into a different trajectory here and it's been a hot ridiculously ridiculously hot market reminds me of oh 2006 2007 uh what do you think i agree uh entirely i have teams all across the globe canada us australia everyone is experiencing the exact same thing uh multiple offers all markets are just sky high even markets that are normally um, substantially lower in comparison to other markets. Properties are going one to $300,000 over asking. It's absolutely insane. So I always had this uh, this thought process in my mind. I remember hearing it back in 2006, 2007. It said, you know, when your gardener comes up and starts giving you real estate advice, uh, you should be very hesitant of what you're doing in the market. Uh, I had been uh, flipping properties. I, I flipped my first property. I want to say it was like 2010 or 2011. And we were doing that for a while. And then uh, a few years ago, maybe three, four years ago, I, I stopped. I was like, I don't want to get caught with my pants down and mid flip. Nothing. You know, I, I was I was pretty sure it was going to shift. 
And then COVID happened. And then interest rates kind of dropped really low. Um, nobody has a crystal ball, but what do you see coming up here in the near future? Something parallel to what you've seen in the past? I have no idea. Um, it's, everything's day to day. And this is just such unprecedented times. And I've been saying that for almost a year now. So when COVID first hit, I mean, it really shocked everyone and it really caught everyone by surprise. And we really kind of, our primary focus was working with people and giving them tips on, on sort of maintaining, recovering and taking advantage of relief programs and maintaining the wealth they do have and the situations that they're currently in. And this market is just going up and up and up and up and up. And I have no idea um, if it's going to drop, but we, we tell people that they should be investing all the time anyways. And moving forward, it's ridiculous if you're overpaying for these properties, because as an investor, you need to be aware of what the true cost of things really is. Now you're talking about like, it was even, even before 2006, 2007, I think it was even like um, 2016, 17 here, um, our market went up just as high. We were going up at 48% in various markets and people were overpaying for properties. And what happened was the government stepped in and put a, um, a tax to stop foreign buyers from, from buying so many properties. And the whole market dropped overnight by like three, four hundred thousand dollars, a lot of the homes in our areas. And it's just up to you as someone who's looking to invest in real estate. Unfortunately, when you say your gardener or the taxi driver or your neighbor, everyone knows to invest in real estate. In real estate investing, there's three people. There's the innovators, there's the imitators, and then there's the idiots. And the people who are buying right now really are the idiots. You can't handle the truth. <laughs> <laughs> but we can't wait. We can't wait until the market drops. And it's not about, you know, waiting to invest in real estate for the perfect conditions. It's up to you as an investor to figure out how to create conditions to be moving forward. So anyone who's investing now in these insane markets, one, do not overpay for these properties. Um, but also two, any types of investments like you're doing, whether it's flips, buy rent holds or anything, we all need to start investing with really specific contingencies in place right now. One of them being um, like, well, like you said, with flipping, I mean, what happened to all the flippers who are flipping and all of a sudden your construction project stopped, you mm -hmm. know? So we had these stay at home orders and people aren't allowed to work, you know? So people, you have to just know how to, how to plan for these things for vacancies for tenants not paying rent, for you know construction costs, and also for the price drops. If you're going to flip a home, and um, be prepared, like put a 20% price drop cushion in your margins, and also have an exit strategy to hold your property and have a plan A, B, and C. Because well, let, let's talk about some of these uh, strategies, right? Because I remember, uh, first of all, I, I bought my first home when I was 20, so that was that was in the early to really early 2000s. Uh, and at the time, it was one of those things where, like, literally, if you fogged the mirror and you show them some paperwork that said you made money, like, they gave you a mortgage, right? That was that. That was a situation we took advantage of that opportunity. Uh, and and the thing about today versus then is today money is so cheap. Like the it's it's really really uh, like that next shiny object. It's really enticing to look at the money 
coming out of banks at two and a quarter or 2.9%, whatever it is, super cheap to be able to pull some of these funds. But you said something crucial, and this is one of the things I learned as a real estate investor very early on, is you buy with the exit strategy in mind. The exit strategy needs to come first. You need to know how you're getting out of this investment before you get into this investment. Can you help people understand why that is so important? Like I said, you know, real estate investing is the number one investment because you have so much control over your investment because you can pre-plan things going wrong. So while we could not pre-plan a world pandemic that <laughs> affected everyone and shut us down, True. Um, True. you can plan for interest rates, um, whether they're they're going up, because uh, that's a huge concern, concern with people is, you know, what if interest rates go up? You can plan, you know, um, vacancies, you can plan construction costs and problems going wrong, and you can plan changing your strategy mid project if the tide does change. Um, so, like I said, you always have to have that plan A, B and C. And I do a lot of passive investments as well. And um, I was at a uh, investment seminar and the fund manager was talking about the importance of this is even way before covid um, recession proofing your investments and so i think that's a really really important concept for all business owners for anyone who's investing in anything is we really always want to see how recession proof anything we do is and how what is the worst case scenario and how can I kind of plan for that scenario? I think too many people invest in real estate on a hope and a prayer strategy. And that's what we try to, um, you know, help people get past at real property investments. And most of the people that come to our, our community to learn about real estate investing, they have invested before, but they kind of did it the way where they cross their fingers and they're like, okay, I'm just going to do it because I have to do it. I hope this works. I'm, gonna, I'm going for it. And they're not really sure what they did. And I think probably 90% of real estate investors move forward on this hope and a prayer strategy and good for them for at least doing something because 90% of the population isn't doing anything at all. I consider failure experience. But failure is an experience. Like the fact that you took, let's face it, most of the time when we do things, we are gonna fail at some point in the, in the process. You wrote a book that literally says, look, our mistakes, well, you should learn from these things, right? So I wanna know some of the stories that you've had in your investment portfolio where you had some of these failures, some of these mistakes. Uh, I'll share one with you. The very first property we bought um, that was an investment property, we went to Las Vegas and we got... We got, uh, you know, you went to those, one of those rah-rah meeting at the hotel, and then we're going to show you about, you know, it, you know, pay four grand and come learn about investing in, in Vegas. So we did it, right? We did it. We show up, learned a ton, but the last thing they do is they drive you around Vegas and they're like, who wants to buy this property? And you're all jazzed and pumped. And of course we bought a property. Uh, and I remember at the time we realized this is not going to cash flow. Like this is going to hurt every single month out of our pockets. So we did something creative and based on the stuff that we learned, we did a lease, uh, a lease option. So we gave somebody an opportunity with, uh, with a subprime credit. Hmm. 
funny now back then, right? But basically gave them the opportunity to buy a property they wouldn't otherwise have been able to purchase. And it worked out. We fixed the cash flow problem. We fixed the exit strategy right there on the spot. But it be, it started off as a failure. It started off as a mistake. Do you have any stories like that where people, you know, where you show that you took action, then you had to pivot? Oh my gosh. Well, we have so the whole book, real estate mistakes. And I'll have to send you a copy. Um, <laughs> is filled with mistakes. And the, the beauty of it is, is they're so easily avoidable, but we didn't have anyone helping us or showing us what to do. So we had no community or no one. It was just my husband and I trying to figure out all of this, you know, on our own. And we did take the expensive real estate courses which were great for information, but what about application? Mm. So I always say, where was my coach when I was in the construction site with my whole development going belly up? You know, we had no one showing us what to do. So, you know, I always say learning is doing. And the first factor is to move past the fear factor. But then when they finally go after this hope and prayer strategy and something goes wrong, they either do one or two things they either will sell immediately and say, no, this isn't for me, been there, done that, or they will have to move forward like you did and figure it out on their own, which is great because in life, if you're not failing, you're not trying. Hmm. You need to fail every day. And we like to say you should be failing forward. So the book, Real Estate Mistakes, starts with all sorts of mistakes, like such as uh, like what you said, flipping homes in this property we call nightmare on elm street you know it was supposed to take 12 weeks turned to take five months and you know by the end of it apparently everyone was talking about how much money i made on this deal and i swear to this day i was just so frazzled by the whole experience i don't even i it didn't feel like i made a cent and so that was just you know a huge mistake with flipping but unfortunately you learn from your mistakes you refine the process and you don't do it again but the number one mistake really in the whole premise of the book is doing too much too soon you know i got dazzled i all, i ended up in the hotel room too and they they i don't know what they do but they do some crazy stuff they made you buy a property they made us buy lots of courses and in these courses i don't know they fill your head with all this crazy stuff and it's some of it's great information and i know you need it for motivation to move forward but, you know, it turned me from an ordinary person who just had, you know, we did have a few properties before we went forward, but we wanted a system. So just someone who wanted some financial freedom in their lives to all of a sudden the supersonic real estate investor on steroids or something. And we just went gangbusters. We completed over 100 deals our first year of investing. We completed over 200 our second year, over three. <laughs> we thought we were it we thought we were it and we even have a chapter called real estate rock stars how they fill your brain with this nlp and you know they pump you out and you have 100 homes and i'm so cool and i have so much phones and i work 20 hour days and i'm so important you know it really goes to people's heads and you think you're doing everything right because you're doing so many different projects so many different areas and you never had this excitement in your life before and I did this with newborn babies, by the way, too. Oh, my. So, yeah, like we, we had two infants through this whole process. I think I was ex I had one and then I was expecting and had another throughout um, this process. So it was an insane period of time. And what I thought was good and was going to 
you know, benefit our life. Really, we were making like a million dollars in mistakes just because we were doing too much too soon. You know what, though? Here's something that I also learned of people who are active investors is you start to take a different relationship with money, right? And and the, the, the funny part about it is there are a lot of people out there who are working their nine to five job, who are really working hard for their money. And I'm not saying that they're not working hard for their money, but the relationship that one has when you have a nine to five job with money versus somebody who's an investor is completely different. You start to utilize money as a tool. You start to dabble in other things like, oh, let's try try that and you just throw money at it to give it a shot to see what the results are going to be because you know that it doesn't matter what you're trying chances are it might not work out but you're going to figure out okay I like this part of it this part of it this part I didn't like let's try it again this way uh what's been what was your relationship like with money going from that person who had you know a couple investment properties to a full-on you know 100 home plus per year investor well (laughs) The reason why we wanted to do get into real estate investing in the first place was so I could be a stay-at-home mom. So we had two kids and I wanted to be home with my family. And my husband and I made this decision when we were in our, our mid-20s after we were newly married and I was finishing my master's degree. I decided not to go to work full-time. Um, and he was fine with that because I wanted to stay at home with kids. I just felt that was more, more important um, for me to do. And we could afford to do it at that time. Well, we didn't even really contemplate what we could and could not afford to do because we didn't know what we were doing in the first place. So I don't know if I can remember back that long ago, but when you're in your twenties, I didn't have it all figured out. I think you were ahead of me because you were buying properties in your twenties. Oh man. I, well, don't worry. Don't worry. It's not like I was a genius at 20 either. You know, I was, I, I bought at 20, but I partied my ass off basically in the house that we bought. So it wasn't like we were, you know, being constructive and I learned a lot. Yes. I learned a lot, but in your 20s, you think you know it all, right? I remember reading Robert Kiyosaki's book and he talks about how his, when he finally was uh, at age where he got out of the rat race, his wife was 37 and he was 47. And I remember thinking at 25, like, hell no, that is not going to be me. But then life has a way about about pushing you around, right? Like it has a way of, of, of showing you experience and what you need to do and the person you need to become in order to kind of control the income and the wealth and the systems that you put into place, right? Well, absolutely. And it is International Women's Day. So I will say a Coco Chanel quote, which is my life didn't please me. So I created my life. Yes. And I've always taken that concept, like always. And, you know, when Vaughn and I were were newly married and I was finishing my degree and then we had a baby and we were living in Australia you know, we didn't know what we were doing. We're kids. We were like in our 20s and we didn't even know how to vacuum until I was married. And so we didn't know anything, you know, I didn't know whether I was going to work full time or whatever. I was studying for six years. And so finally, when we moved back here um, to Toronto, you know, he was working full time and I was, you know, we really realized we were homeowners. We bought our first house, how much it really costs, you know, how much we are kind of committing that financial suicide living off one salary and that really made me put money to the forefront because i like to do nice things and i expect a certain lifestyle for myself and that life i want to create for myself i want to be able to you know stay home but i also want to have two cars um and i also want to be able to live in a really great area and i want to be able to go on vacation and i wanted to be able to for my kids to do extracurricular stuff right Mm -hmm. so just because when it came tough i thought Okay, so I'm going to fix it and really study money and learn money and finance because I don't have any business background. 
or anything. All I know is I like to do really expensive things and I had to learn how to afford <laughs> to do it. So I put the finances to the forefront. We start, got life insurance. Ooh, like talk about an adult decision to, you know, 28 year olds with two kids got life insurance and, you know, then started to learn all these different sort of mature things and set our 10% aside, invested in mutual funds, with our financial planner. And I swear, like, not a mathematician, but I knew like negative returns in front of my statements probably aren't a good thing. <laughs> and I'm looking at 60% of the time, it works every time. <laughs> I love this show. <laughs> oh my God. But, you know, like I realized it's not working. And then our projected retirement, you know, they give you that little projection, like you are going to build retirement. It's like $40,000. I'm like, what the heck? Like, what the hell? Like, what am I going to do? And then, so we had two kids and we're just going through and trying to figure this out. And then we have having more kids and more kids because I do have four kids. But it got to the point where it's like, okay, you know, there has to be a different way. This is stupid. Uh, you know, 2006 hits and obviously everything just goes kaput, that, all that savings. I'm not going to be able to afford my kids, send my kids to school. I'm not going to be able to afford to retire. Um, oh, my God, I, I, I'm the financial plan. Like me going to work full time is the only way that our family is going to be able to afford to retire and afford to help our kids out. And this is two six-figure salaries. Mm. Okay. So I'm like, okay, so does this seriously, what kind of society do we live in that it takes two six-figure salaries to get by? Like yeah. not to live in the lap of luxury. I'm not in a yacht in St. Tropez. It's to get by. Like, oh my God, thank you. I can retire. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, you, know? you started to realize real quick, and and we talk about this all the time when it comes to retirement. I ask people, you know, what do you what what do you think of when you think of retirement? And most people are going to tell you 62, 65, right? I can activate Social Security uh, after 30 years of service. They always think of it as an age problem. And I think that is one of the biggest flaws because you don't think about 65 when you're 25. That's just not something you're thinking about. But you saw it a little bit different. You're, you're looking at these negative returns on investment. You're looking at the 40,000 a year lifestyle. You're like, there's no way this is going to happen. Oh, no, that was like 40,000 total. That was not 40,000 a year. That was like oh, my total retirement plan. Even worse, right? But but at this point, you realize the actual game, which is the the retirement question is not an age problem; it's a cash flow problem. So you, I'm assuming at this point, you realize, okay, if it's a cash flow problem, if it's me going back to work, if it's two six figure incomes, there's got to be another path. There's got to be something else. What was that? And and you know, I want to know what that conversation was like with your husband. And at that point, like, look, babe, this is not going to work. We have to do something more. Oh, my husband never pressured me to go to work, which I really love that about him. He, it was never a point of conversation of me going to work. My husband would, would have done, did whatever it took to make things. He was making great money and it still wasn't enough. And it frustrated him because he was working so long. And if anyone out there is really trading that time for money, um, he was working, you know, like I'm talking 12 hour days and it was insane. And a lot of it was man, like physical work as well. So it was really tough, you know, um, for him too, but it, it was never a question for me to go to make the money. It was never required of us to do it. It was more like, how can we stop trading time for money was always the conversation. And that same book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, 
fell on my lap. I don't remember how, but I thank God every day for that because it changed my life. It's the best book ever out there. I'd love to do like, you need to do a podcast with Robert Kiyosaki or something because he's just so amazing. And that whole book just really kind of taught me, you know, gave me a whole new perspective on financial literacy. And all of a sudden I understood how money worked. I was just doing it wrong the whole time. I had assets and liabilities mixed up. I had trading time for money. You know, I had saving. No one's ever gotten rich off saving. So once that happened and I realized real estate was the way, you know, that's when we're like, let's really kind of look into this and see how we can start taking some steps to making it work. But once again, we didn't have a community and we were all on our own. So... I, I love how that uh, I, the fact that you said it opened your eyes, and I always I always have a Monopoly over here, and I always tell uh, younger people, I'm like, look, the first time you played Monopoly, I can guarantee you sucked, right? You didn't know how to play the game, but the second time you played, you had a chance of winning, and the only difference between the first and the second was you knew the rules to the game, and I think that's what uh, Kiyosaki's book does to a lot of people. It opens their eyes to the rules of this game called, you know, your personal finances game called money. You understand the rules and now that you know the rules like once you see it you can't unsee it now you know the rules and you can start to play the game with the rules in your favor and all of a sudden you start making moves that are pushing you forward rather than holding you back that are traditionally not taught to you but now because you know somebody else opened that door you're able to do that so how do you go from just you know reading robert kiyosaki to doing 100 200 300 homes what was that uh path like it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. I mean, we were doing really actually probably better when we first started out um, by doing like, our, we started with three properties and they're in the book, Real Estate Mistakes. The first property was a bit of a mistake um, because we kind of copped out a little bit. So I think a lot of people's investments, first investments are either A, a condo or B, a vacation property that they can use. This was both. It was a vacation <laughs> property condo. And, you know, a lot of people do this. I think people invest in condos, first of all, because the small space, I think it's just like the psychological thing. So I am not an advocate for condos at all. Um, but the, and also vacation properties you have to be really careful on. But I was convinced that, okay, we could, it was a ski, little ski, um, you know, chalet thing that we can get this and rent it out and make money when we're not using it. So that's what I told ourselves to, you know, comfort ourselves and buying this and, and not think we're totally crazy at least it kind of makes sense and so that was our very first property um that we got and it wasn't a huge mistake but i really learned a lot about vacation rentals i learned a lot about sh shoulder seasons i learned a lot about the um the condo fees uh assessments all these sort of things you know it really kind of came back to sort of bite you and for all those reasons it was really difficult to sell it as well so it was a cool property, you know, we fixed it up and rented it out. Um, but we probably, you know, two years later, it was probably a wash, like something pretty much even, but I didn't know how to do anything. Like I didn't know how to leverage. I didn't know how to, you know, use um, other people's money to do the improvements. I didn't know how to finance it properly. Like we, we didn't even know who to use as a mortgage broker. Um, I just used someone in our neighborhood and she almost got a sued because at the last second, she's like, we waived our financing, so it's fine. And all of a sudden, they couldn't get us financing anymore. Ooh. And so that was terrifying. I was like a crying and I was scared because, you know, I had no idea. I was like, oh, my God, like we, we, 
we made this big bold move we're all alone no one knows what we're doing and now we're going to get sued and we're going to lose everything and why is this happening and it was so scary and it was it was such a rough time i had nothing i was trying to figure out how to use rsp loans which is like your 401k i was just trying to figure out how to how to get leverage how to get money there's so many different things that we had to figure out on our own that now if you fast forward to today i could look at one person and asking a few simple questions figure out how i can create a life of freedom in their life i've done this for thousands of people it's like my my little secret talent or something is um i could just tell people what exactly they could do to get exactly what they need and sometimes it's a bit of a like you had that truth hurts or whatever thing pop up or you can't handle the truth sometimes people have to face the truth um you have to ask yourself because you can't just if you don't make enough money stop crying about it accept the fact you don't make enough money and figure out how to make more money and that, if you just acknowledge this you know you could do this like you can create your own your own life and so that's that's what we did with those with those properties we were probably doing pretty good and then we went gangbusters but we were making so much money it was ridiculous like on a lot of those things but then we were losing just as much yeah, it's, so, it's it's funny how you start looking at top line revenue as as the brag thing, right? Like, look, check it out. We did, you know, $10 million in transactions this year. How much did you net, right? That's always well, the other I question. I didn't even know anything about netting, like anything. All I knew was I'm getting like through a lot of wholesaling and assignments and through a lot of um, flips, I'm getting checks for like 50, 60, $100,000 and all these things. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is like a salary. How did people, let's do more, let's do more, let's do more. And meanwhile, this little stay-at-home mom, what kids? Like, <laughs> I gave up an epidural in the hospital giving birth to number four so I could stand by a fax machine and get the best real estate deal of a lifetime. Like, I was, wow. So the stay-at-home mom didn't really stay at home to oh raise God. the kids. You stayed at home to run a business is what ended up happening, sounds like, anyways. I'm an imposter. I am a fraud. <laughs> I'm an imposter. And it took a business coach, a really great business coach of mine, to point that out to me at a mastermind session. He had a hot seat. And he's a tell it like it is coach. Um, and he is amazing. His name's Joy Ragona, if anyone wants this, a great coach. He doesn't really do this kind of coaching. He's more on the... The marketing but this is a really embarrassing story but he had this hot seat session there's about 20 people i didn't know and i volunteered to put myself in the hot seat just listen to this <laughs> i could tell people how great i am <laughs> this is how great i seriously thought i was and how transactional i am because i do so much and i'm so cool he saw right through me he shot me down pretty much asked me, do you like resent your children and told me I'm full of shit. Sorry, I'm a lot of swear on your you're good, podcast. You're good. So I was so mad. I was like, oh. and so I didn't say anything. And then the next day I hired him. Yeah, yes. <laughs> All right, look, ladies and gents, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, the, the ability for you just to kind of look introspective at yourself and, and realize what's going on. And uh, it doesn't matter uh, whether you've done tons of deals or a few deals, whether you've made millions of dollars or you're just barely making a hundred bucks. That imposter syndrome, that is going to set in. That is just part of, I don't know, maybe I think it's human nature. I go through it all the time. I never think I'm good enough. I, I never think I'm, I'm ready for something. But the difference 
between the people who succeed and the people who don't is it doesn't matter what I'm thinking. I still take that action. And you look for mentors. You look for people like Monica who've already done it, who can help you so you don't step in the same hole that they stepped in. That's what it's all about. Just get out there and do it. You're going to make a mistake. You're going to fall on your face. You're going to lose money. It's all part of, I guess, financially growing up. So get out there and do it. Monica, before we head out, uh, can you let people know how can they get a hold of you if they want to work with you? How can they get a copy of your book? All right. Well, we're on Amazon. It's Real Estate Mistakes, Our Mistake, Your Success. Uh, and it's also on our website, which is rpinvestments.ca. And I think it is in our bio on Instagram as well. So please follow us there. And also, I don't know, are you on Clubhouse yet? Oh, yeah. We're on Clubhouse. Well, we have to do a clubhouse room sometime. I'm down. Let me know. Do I'll it. take the invite. Yes. We'll do it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So that's how people could reach us. Awesome. Well, Monica, thanks again for coming on the show and sharing some of those stories. I mean, yes, some of them are embarrassing. Yes, there's struggle. But I mean, would you, if you could go back, last question, if you can go back and tell Monica at 25, what piece of advice would you give her? Oh, when I'm 25, yeah. I would tell Monica not to listen to her parents and buy that home on the golf course community uh, with our husband, which was $500 for a deposit of land, as well as a home that we had custom built and proved all for $250,000 to actually go ahead with it because it ended up being $1.7 million four years later. But Monica decided it was a bad idea because her parents told her not to do it. (laughs) that's what I would tell 20 that's 24 year old Monica oh man see that's in our book too it's called the one that got away the one that got away look and here's the thing here's in in I'm I'm, I know your parents did it because they love you they want to protect you they want to you know help you avoid any type of mistake but the other day we had Sunil on the show and he was talking about intuition. And sometimes there's that gut feeling inside and you just got to follow your gut and realize that you may make a mistake and it's all good. But you can also grab that lotto ticket that happens to be the investment property or the property that you bought that just goes up in value. What's the worst that can happen? You had to live somewhere anyways, right, Monica? You had to live somewhere. Exactly. Could have been that place. All right, ladies and gents, that's all we got for you guys today. We'll see you again next time. Make sure you guys check out Monica. You guys can go to her uh, to her website, scrolling at the bottom of the screen, rpinvestments.ca. Follow her on Instagram at rp.investments. We'll see you guys on the flip side. Peace out, y'all. Hasta mañana. Thank you for listening to the Business Bros Podcast. Are you looking to get more clients or to increase your income? Hernan, the business bro, can help you generate referrals through the power of podcasting. And James, the insurance bro with Pipeline Insurance, can help you effectively add insurance to your existing business. If you are ready to create wealth today and generational wealth for tomorrow, email businessbros at csfirst.com to schedule a free consultation or join the Business Bros Network, www.businessbros.biz.